Hello everybody and welcome to the Filipino Freethinkers podcast that's also a video. I'm Red and this is another episode of Conversations for a Cause. And today we have with us Rebecca Watson, more famously known as Skeptic. So hi Rebecca. Hi Red, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I was very excited about uh, this this interview. Too bad that the other uh, cast of the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe couldn't join us. So I, I prepared the the questions or the format and flow of this interview to be like the, an episode of the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. So we can... Okay. Yeah, so we, you start by introducing the show and I'll, I'll ask you about how you... First, how did you come up with the name Skeptic's Guide to the Universe? Well, I didn't come onto the show until it was yeah. already up and running for a few episodes, but uh, I was already a fan of the Instagram inspiration for the name, which was the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. All of the guys were huge fans of Douglas Adams, who was a well-known humanist and skeptic, just like us. And so they named the show as a sort of tribute to Douglas Adams. Great. And uh, how is the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, or uh, SGU, different from other podcasts? Well, uh, if you look on iTunes, we're usually ranked in the top 10 or so of the science podcasts, but usually we're the only one that's independently produced. So a lot of others are run by large corporations or magazines that already have uh, a, you know, an established audience or even radio shows that are on the that have been on the radio for a long time here in the United States like Radio Lab or Science Friday. So one thing that sets us apart is the fact that we're completely independently produced. We have been doing it on our own for the past 8 years or so. Wow. And the other thing I think that sets us apart is the fact that we're all friends and a big part of the show is just us having fun and talking about science and skepticism in a fun conversational way. So you usually start the show by, like one of the first segments of the show is This Day in History, right? Yes. And so how did you, let's talk about the, the history of the, well, I was going to ask all of you this, but how did you get into skepticism? Well, uh, I got into skepticism through magic, actually. I I was a magician uh, in college. That's how I worked my way through college. Um, I worked in a magic store and I would occasionally do parties and things like that. And I was a huge fan of James Randi, the amazing Randi, who was an escape artist back in the 50s and 60s and 70s and eventually started offering a prize of a million dollars to anyone who could prove that they had paranormal abilities. So I was already a fan of his magic, and I started visiting his website and found out about the Million Dollar Challenge, and that was my introduction to skepticism as a community. I joined the forum at Randy's website, and I met a lot of really awesome people, and from there, I got the idea to start Skeptic, which was a skeptic site focused on women. So there, there really is something about being a magician and getting into skepticism like they were in fact the the last couple of people that i interviewed was james randy and dj grothy so you have similar stories in that you know you, you got into magic and then you got into skepticism and um so you're skeptics and you're of course very more 
like guided by reason and logic when you when you decide on truth claims. But have you been wrong about something? Like, have you applied skepticism to your own beliefs and found out, hey, I'm wrong? No, I've never been wrong. <laughs> uh, I'm wrong all the time. Uh, one of the great things about doing SGU is that, that our listeners are so smart that every week they write in with something we got wrong on the previous episode. Um, because no matter what we talk about, there's always going to be someone in the audience who is an expert in that field and can help us uh, be more exact or sometimes they can help fix things that we get completely wrong. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I even after I became a magician, uh, I had been working as a magician for about a year or so, and I had been I was in college, and I got news, really horrible news, that a boy that I used to babysit for had been killed in a drunk driving accident. A drunk driver had hit his school bus. And I was devastated by the news. And I remember shortly after hearing the news, I uh, was flipping through the channels late at night and I stumbled across John Edward mm. talking to the dead. And I remember saying to my boyfriend at the time, who was also a magician, you know, I saw this guy and he was talking to the dead and I feel like maybe I'm not an atheist anymore. Like, maybe there really is something out there. It was really convincing. And my boyfriend looked at me and said, what is wrong with you? This is exactly the sort of magic trick that you do every day. It's cold reading. Um, and I realized that I was just particularly susceptible to that message at the time because it was something that I desperately wanted to believe. So yeah, I've been I've been wrong about stuff for the same reason why everyone's wrong about stuff uh, because you want the wrong thing to be right. Uh, I've been wrong about stuff just because I was ignorant of the truth, um, which is you know that's what happens every week on on SGU when we find out new subtleties about scientific experiments or uh, all sorts of things that people write in about. Um, and I think that that's what's so great about being a skeptic is figuring out where you're wrong. Uh, everybody's got some weird belief. And I actually have a lot of fun rooting out those, those weird beliefs and the things that I'm thinking that might be wrongheaded. And whenever I have a new revelation, it's like, I don't know, it's like, it's like crack. <laughs> I get really excited. It feels really good to... to readjust my viewpoint accordingly with the facts that's great that's uh that's definitely a wonderful attitude to have like the people in your circles of course they're also mostly skeptics do you could you say that there's a there's a blind spot that's common to the to many of your friends like they're very skeptical about, about one area of their life but when it comes to some areas they're not as skeptical like is it of course it's different for everyone but are there very common blind spots for the skeptics in, in your community, at least? Well, you know, it's, yes. I mean, <laughs> that, that definitely happens. Um, I'm trying to think because, I mean, one of the biggest things that I've been on about the past few years is that I came to the realization that a lot of skeptics have a blind spot when it comes to sexism and treatment of women in our community and in the world at large. And uh, I feel that a lot of skeptics 
believe that sexism is in the world of religion and that you know it's it's the religious people holding women down that we have to worry about and not the day-to-day -day inequalities that we all contribute to that we need to think critically about I, I think that's changing though on a massive scale I see more and more people starting to apply skepticism to uh, ideas of social justice Great. and so that includes treatment of women and also treatment of minorities um, reaching out to non-English speaking skeptics and realizing that you know just because uh, a group of people don't speak English and come from a culture that we're not familiar with it doesn't mean that they're a bunch of idiots and can't think critically about things um, so I'm seeing a lot more of that, a lot more reaching out to, to people in order to expand the umbrella of critical thinking, and, and I think it's great. Um, yes. So, yeah, I'm trying to think of what else, um, you know, it, it seems like ev everybody has, has weird, weird beliefs, I don't know, uh, but I think that, that those are the biggest ones, the, the social justice blind spots. We'll get to those uh, issues when we discuss uh, particularly the, the skeptic network uh, later on. But let's get, get on with the, the SGU format. So you have another segment. It's called uh, Who's That Noisy? Where you, where you play some, like somebody, and you, it's usually someone that you don't agree with, right? So, and sometimes, yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's uh, someone you don't agree with. And you've yeah. had like uh, hundreds of episodes, right? And, oh, yeah. Uh, do you have a particular pseudo-scientific pet peeve? Like whenever it comes up, I mean, it just uh, like pushes your buttons a certain way and you don't like it? Like pseudoscience. I, I think 9-11 uh, truthers, conspiracy theorists really uh, annoy me <laughs> <laughs> to the point where I just don't even want to talk about it anymore and it makes me angry to talk about um, and these are the people who believe that the, that terrorists didn't really fly planes into the Twin Towers on September 11th, that it was orchestrated by Bush, that they blew up the towers with explosives. And I think that I've always uh, been annoyed by the truthers um, because of how incredibly insensitive it is to the victims of September 11th and the uh, the firefighters who lost their lives, the people who were incredibly brave that day and gave their lives. I think it's so incredibly disrespectful to use that day as an opportunity to spin out conspiracy theories. But now, these days, it annoys me on a whole new level because it's been so long everything they say has been thoroughly debunked. Uh, if you know how to use Google properly, you can find the answers to every single one of the questions raised by conspiracy theorists. But they continue to bring this stuff up. We continue to get emails at SGU, you know, somebody will listen to an old episode and they'll write in and say, well, what about uh, Building 7 <laughs> and falling faster than the whatever free fall and it's so annoying <laughs> like just do the research leave us alone <laughs> I don't even like w whenever uh, Steve decides to go ahead and address it I actually get angry at him <laughs> like, I don't want to talk about it so you also had you it, it, it was more 
regular before, but you, you, you used to have a logical fallacy segment where you, you would, you know, what particular logical fallacy gets on your nerves the way that uh, truthers get to your nerve? Oh, man. Um, I guess the one I see, the one that I feel is the most common and most insidious is post hoc ergo prompter hoc. Mm, uh, yeah. So the idea that um, if if A happened before B, A must have caused B. And it's the root of so many dangerous pseudosciences, surprisingly bad pseudosciences like vaccine denial, which is uh, a huge issue for me and for the rest of the SGU and for a lot of people on Skeptic. Uh, we focus on it because it's a, an area where we can really make a difference changing people's minds and possibly saving lives by educating the general public about vaccines. And so much of vaccine fear comes from uh, this idea that, you know, autism symptoms tend to develop around the same time that uh, vaccines are given. And it's, it's fallacious thinking, but it's very difficult to convince people otherwise because you know, it's a, when you add emotion to the issue and there's so much emotion around vaccine, you're talking about, you know, their children, people get really passionate about it and they fail to see what's right in front of them. This idea that just because these two things happen at the same time does not mean that they're necessarily related. And we have seen the effects of, you know, the, the anti-vaxxers uh, in the news. We've seen like things like measles outbreaks like that happening and yeah you're i i particularly agree with you on that uh, post hoc um fa yeah. fallacy um speaking about misconceptions like what what's the most common misconception that you get when it comes to skepticism in general like people think skepticism is supposed to be this way but it actually is not in practice so what do you think uh i think that the most common misconception i see these days is the idea that Skepticism is just about Bigfoot and ghosts and not about anything that has real impact on people's day-to-day -day lives. And, mm. you know, it couldn't, that couldn't be further from the truth. I love Bigfoot and ghosts and talk about them at every opportunity because <laughs> they're, they're fun topics and they can get people uh, interested in, in critical thinking. But at the same time, critical thinking can be applied to every aspect of our lives and it can be used in really powerful ways. So, for instance, uh, look at what the religious right is doing to women in the U.S. and in many other countries, actually, um, trying to rest restrict women's uh, reproductive health. And by using critical thinking, we can combat a lot of the things they're saying, like Things like uh, that abortions cause depression or that abortions have other uh, major health risks to women um, or simply that, you know, uh, that women would be safer if they have to go through, jump through many hoops in order to get abortions. We can look at what the science actually says about these things and we can rebut them. And in doing so, we can really uh, help women live full, complete lives free of having their wombs legislated by Republicans. Um, and another issue that I want to mention is stop and frisk laws here in the U.S., which are 
laws that are meant to reduce crime by allowing police officers to stop people supposedly at random on the street and they frisk them for drugs and weapons. But when we look at the research, you know, does it really help reduce crime? It doesn't actually look like it does. Um, are the stops actually random? It looks like they aren't. It looks like minorities are being hassled unfairly and that it's not actually making any of us any safer. So I love to see critical thinking applied to things like that. And whenever that is done by skeptics, I think we do a great service to skepticism as a whole because it shows people that we're about more than, than just the fun, silly topics. It's like uh, when people think that science is reserved for people in the laboratory and that you can't apply the scientific method to other things in your life, you know, and there's a compartmentalization yeah. in your brain of what science should be applied to and what it can't be applied to, you know. Yeah, that, that particular peeves me, the, the whole um, magisterium, you know, non-overlapping magisterium thinking. I mean, that gets to me. I just had to mention that. Yeah, but, uh, no, I agree completely. So uh, th another segment of your show is the, the quickie with Bob, you know, the, the science news. Mm -hmm. So what do you think is the most important development in science this year? So it's towards the end of the year, and I guess a lot of important things happen. But what do you think is, you know, some of the, you can mention several so that you hit the, the most important. So. Oh, that's, that's tough. Um, gosh, let me think about that for a second. Uh, last night, we were just talking about the discovery of geysers on Europa, which mm. is amazing. The continuing discovery of Earth-like planets and particularly um, places where water exists outside of Earth is, I think, huge, absolutely huge. Um, let me think. What? Oh. Yeah, I, I'm aware it's a huge question. Like, there must be yeah, so many things so running through your mind. I'll let you yeah. get back to me on that. Um, okay, let me, me let me think it over and, and I'll get back to you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so this, like, uh, of course, something that's um, very prominent in the news, um, not only for skeptics, but for free thinkers in general, is the, the time person of the year. They recently named the Pope, right? The time person of the year. And I, I kind of agree with that in a way if, if you... If you take into account that not all of the time people of the year are good people, you know, but, but anyway, uh, if you were to, to name like a, a person of the year, you know, in terms of skepticism, yeah. like positive or negative, it could be one of the, the pseudo side, like, I, I, I won't mention any names, but I have some ideas, but you know, if you could name a time person of the year for 2013, who would it be? Uh, you know, the thing with the Pope is I I think that they meant it as a good thing, which is what is so incredibly annoying about I know, that, I know. that choice. But uh, I think if I had had uh, the decision there, I would have probably said uh, Malala Yousafzai. Uh, ah, yeah. um, she, you know... <laughs> She's, she became much more than what she actually did. Like, she went through so much, uh, so much, like, literal and, and uh, figurative pain and struggle and came out as this powerful voice for women, for the oppressed, for um, people who uh, celebrate education as a yes. human right. And 
she captured the imagination of the world and really inspired many people to um, to continue fighting and to she gave a lot of people hope I think and I mean <laughs> this is uh, I I get really annoyed about time because there's something like um, in the past I don't know the exact numbers but in the past like 40 years or so that they've been doing this I think four people have actually been women and so women are constantly overlooked when it comes to their uh, whatever process they choose to, uh, to to choose these people and I think that you know that's that happens particularly when it comes to social justice you know this little girl did so much and you know she should be getting every I think she should get every award <laughs> yeah the, the, the Nobel Prize like she was you know it was given to that um, chemical weapons uh, group but um, but yeah I agree I completely agree with you she she definitely deserves it more than the Pope um, if you could name another one like for the negative person <laughs> of the year like from a skeptics Ooh. perspective you know who has done the most damage in terms of peddling pseudoscience and yeah. the paranormal or the supernatural in 2013? Maybe I would go with uh, Stanislaw Brzezinski, who uh, is located in Texas, I believe, and offers alternative cancer cures to desperate, dying people. And he is a complete quack. None of his treatments work. And uh, skeptics have been fighting very, very hard to push Brzezinski into the media spotlight. And in the last couple of months, they've been succeeding. I think he had an article in Newsweek. Um, and, you know, the, finally the spotlight is being trained on him. And he's he's hopefully going to get his comeuppance soon. But in the meanwhile, he's taking people's money. He's charging them tens of thousands of dollars and giving them bunk treatments that don't work and they end up dying anyway. So I guess I, I, I throw his name out there, but I don't know, you know, in terms of global impact, if he has quite the, uh, but yeah, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put my nickel down on Brzezinski. Okay. Uh, of course the, the, one of the main, parts of the Skeptics Guide to the Universe show is the interview with your, you know, with your special guests. Mm -hmm. And who was your favorite guest of 2013? Like if, if, if someone's mm -hmm. gonna watch, uh, I mean, listen to, a, to an episode like in your archive, like where should they start? Like if they're gonna, if you're gonna introduce them to the, the SGU podcast, like which particular show should they watch? Oh man, that's another really tough. <laughs> Sorry about this. Yeah, there are like fifty uh, choices uh, to go with. Um, let me think. What stands out for me? Uh, I really enjoyed interviewing Simon Singh and John Ronson during our live show uh, at Nexus. So that would be back in April, and Simon talked a bit about his new book. Um, which is uh, explores the mathematics that are hidden in The Simpsons. Um, <laughs> and so that was really enjoyable. And I love both of those guys. They make me laugh. So that's what I normally go with. If you ask me to choose something, I'm going to go with the thing that makes me laugh the most. <laughs> so uh, 
And I also, I really liked the other, we did two live shows at Nexus, one on stage and the one with Simon and John was like a private recording that people could pay extra to come and watch. Uh, the other one we did live on stage with uh, a an improv comedian whose name escapes me, but she was really funny and I loved having her on. Um, so maybe that one, that one was a lot of fun too. Just a shout out to to the improv comedian in our group, who actually told ah. told me about the Skeptics Guide, and he really wanted to be on your show, but unfortunately he came from the a relief. Um, trip to to the devastated areas in Tacloban and it's mm. like I said it's 3 a.m. here right now and and he really wanted to be on this uh, on here during the interview but yeah shout out to that improv guy in our group uh, well maybe maybe I can uh, round up the guys at some point to to do an interview with you guys so that he can he can sort of meet them great, later. great. yeah he would love that he would love that and he's uh by the way it, it just uh Another piece of trivia, he's a Christian, an Episcopalian Christian, uh, but he, he's been listening to your show religiously. So I, I use religiously in that sense of, you know, right. always watching, I mean, always listening to the podcast. Yeah. And that's another misconception about skeptics is that yeah, religious yeah. people can't be skeptics, which is just not true. Um, and I always try to tell people that skeptic is actually a terrible word uh, because it implies that it implies this perfect being who is skeptical about absolutely every area of their life and uh, or like highly rational about every single thing they think. And nobody is like that. Uh, the best we can do is just try to be as skeptical as possible uh, about the various things in our life. And there are plenty of people who are skeptical of religion, but who come out of their skepticism thinking this is the right choice. So, you know, more power we, to them, I guess. <laughs> we share that. I mean, the our free thinkers group and, the, you know, the skeptics groups share that in that they don't really require people to to have a set conclusion on anything like um, they could you know as, as long as they try their hardest and use the their reason and you know evidence um, to the best of their abilities then yeah it's more about the process than the conclusion exactly yeah it's about the questions not the answers yes so if you could have someone on your show that you haven't yet like who would you love to talk to oh uh, the first name that pops into mind is Mary Roach. I've been a huge fan of her books for so long. She wrote Bonk, Spook, uh, yeah. several other, uh, Packing for Mars. I love her writing. I think she's hilarious, and she makes science and skepticism very accessible. Um, but we've just never been able to get a hold of her. We've, she's always, you know, we've invited her to conferences, and she's never been able to make it. So, I don't know, I'm hopeful that one day we'll get a hold of her because I'm pretty sure she's the best person ever and I want her to be my friend. <laughs> Maybe in 2014. Uh, yeah. Maybe. I, science or fiction. So, what is your favorite science fiction, recent science fiction movie or book? Ooh, it's another tough question. Um, let me think. Uh, well, I just, I just finished. So... I realized at the end of last year, at the end of 2012, I uh, read a, or maybe it was at the beginning of 2013, but I read a, a survey of Americans on 
uh, how many books they read in 2012. And I clicked the article thinking like, oh, this is going to be embarrassing. But then the average number was something like seven. And I thought to myself, did I read seven whole books <laughs> in 2012? I, I realized seven is I a spent, lot. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. For an average, like, yeah. Yeah, and I, I spend a lot of my time online or gaming or doing other things. And I had sort of stopped reading. And so I decided that I would, uh, for 2013, I would stop reading nonfiction because that seemed like all I would, would ever read for my work, you know, <laughs> is science books. So I devoted myself to reading nothing but fiction, and I concentrated on science fiction and fantasy, that, like generally classics that I had missed over the years. Um, so uh, I think one of my favorites that I read was The Left Hand of Darkness uh, by Ursula, Ursula K. Le Guin. Yeah, a classic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, blew my mind. I loved it. I thought like the writing was rich and inventive and also the 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 universe she created was really interesting she made a a world where uh the species can swap genders yeah, and yeah it, that's pretty interesting and, yeah and she just explores like well what does that mean for a culture and where do you go from there so i really loved that um i also really loved john scalzi's book old man's war um i've been following scalzi on twitter for a long time now and i was like i guess i should probably finally read his books <laughs> um and they did not disappoint at least old man's war did not disappoint i haven't made it to another one yet um but i highly recommend that and also i mentioned one other that i really liked um margaret atwood's book the oh. blind assassin um which I'd re I've read Atwood before in the past, and I really loved her. And but I saw The Blind Assassin uh, for like fifty cents on a <laughs> used bookstore shelf and grabbed it, and it was so good. It was actually a story within a story within a story, and uh, just masterfully written. Highly recommended. So this next question is kind of related to that uh, sci-fi books because um, there was a recent meme on social media. I'm not sure if it goes if it also happened in the U.S., but in the Philippines, there's a 10 books that have stayed with you kind of meaning. Yeah. And, and did it also happen in the U.S.? That 10, 10 yeah. books? Yeah. Oh, I see. That's interesting. So the la one of the last few things that you do on the on the show is you quote, right? You do the the quotes. So, yeah. So which, like, skept which skeptical books have stayed with you? Can you name three that have stayed with you? Oh. Yeah, I bet I can do that. Let's see. <laughs> well, uh, the first one would probably have to be Demon Haunted World. I would um, say that. But, yeah. I, I mean, wanted to now. remove that from the choices because <laughs> everyone would probably You're say right. that. It's, it's too obvious. It's, it's the Bible of skepticism okay. almost. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll go with um, John Ronson's book, Them, uh, Adventures with Extremists. That is a brilliant book where John befriends people with really weird beliefs who believe them so strongly that they're classified as extremists and he really humanizes them and he has these amazing adventures with them and I think it's necessary for skeptics to read and to to ba basically understand better what the other side is thinking and doing um, so really enjoyed that uh, let's see 
I'll go with Trick or Treatment, uh, Simon Singh and Edzard Ernst book on alternative medicine. If there is anyone in your life who believes in alternative medicine and you want them to be more skeptical, buy them that book. It's written for a person who already believes in alt-med um, and it's very gent- like a very gentle introduction to skepticism and science. Um, and let me think, one more. Uh, oh, there's so many. <laughs> I guess uh, I'm going to go with, I give a shout out to another good friend of mine, Richard Wiseman. His book, Paranormality, is is really fantastic and entertaining. And again, probably a very good choice for somebody who doesn't really know much about scientific skepticism it's a good introduction for them because it's highly entertaining and uh an easy intro really great books and uh, i'm sure a lot of the our listeners and viewers would add that to their 2014 reading list so let's let's get back to a very important point that you raised about the blind spots that skeptics have um our group like the the free thinkers, we although we of course we promote reason, science, and secularism is the the minimum that we ask our readers to subscribe to, but we also advocate and are activists for issues like LGBT rights, women's rights, and freedom of speech, and and you know social justice issues in general, and that's what you can see and you can find on the Skeptic uh, Network. You have uh, Quirica, you have like of course the Skeptic itself. Like emphasizes like uh, feminism and uh, women's rights and the women's place in the in the whole secularism movement, and, it, and, and it's really good. So, so what? Do, why do you think it's it's important that these social justice issues are sort of integrated into the the, the skeptical movement? Well, you know, for a long time, skepticism and critical thinking. As a as a community or as a movement was dominated by English speaking straight white men um, by and large. You know, obviously there there are women and people of color and uh, and LGBT people uh, who who did play important roles in our history. But at the same time, the the face of skepticism tended to be. Uh, this one face, <clears throat> and I, I think that the reason for that, and this is something that Sikibu Hutchinson talks about a lot in books like Moral Combat and and others, um, people who are uh, marginalized in our society have bigger problems than uh, things like Bigfoot and aliens. Um, they they have concerns that skeptics could do a really great job of addressing. Um, for instance, you know, I, I already mentioned some things like stop and frisk or uh, the religious rights war on women. Um, these are the things that, that many women and many uh, minorities, many people in poverty, many disabled people care passionately about and they don't have the time or energy to go to conferences and talk about Bigfoot because, you know, even though they probably love to, that is honestly a lot of fun. Um, But they can't because they are too busy worrying about economic inequality and stop and frisk and and things like this. They're they're too busy fighting those things. And also when it comes to the church, uh, this is another thing that Sikivu and many others talk about quite passionately. The church 
has in the past, uh, despite the fact that, you know, there's much to argue in the way of the church being a force of evil against uh, women and other marginalized groups, at the same time, on a, a community level, the church ha- does quite a bit of providing a social safety net for marginalized people, of providing charity or of just providing a place to gather and to safely meet people and connect. Uh, the church provides a lot of services for people, so it's difficult to ask those people to give up all of that uh, and then replace that with nothing. Um, there are, you know, now skeptics and uh, secularists and humanists who are attempting to fill those gaps, uh, which is great, and I hope they continue to do that and to grow. And also at the same time, we have people who are reaching out and trying to address the issues that are actually important to these groups. And that's something that we try to do on Skeptic. We think, what are, for instance, what are mothers concerned about? Um, You know, what are people with disabilities concerned about? Uh, So we talk about things like what it's like to be a disabled person who is preyed upon by somebody selling a quack remedy. Or uh, what is it like to be a mother of a child with autism? Um, I think these are really important issues. And the more we do that, the more we expand our community and the stronger our community gets. The more of these subjects that we tackle, the better we all get at critical thinking and the better we get at reaching out to others. Uh, when When I first put out a call for more writers on Skeptic, one of the things I looked for were mothers because I'm not a mother and I, because of that, I can't lecture parents on whether or not to vaccinate their children. It just doesn't sound the same coming from me as it does from a parent of a child. And I'm so glad that I did that because I ended up getting Elise Anders, who is the mother of uh, two wonderful children, and she has become a fierce advocate for vaccines and a really powerful voice uh, promoting uh, vaccines and also researching the reasons why parents don't vaccinate their children in order to better speak to uh, those parents uh, to educate them. So that's a really long-winded way to say that the reason why it's necessary to address these issues is because those are the issues that are important to the world at large. And we need to do that in order to grow and to remain strong and relevant as a community. So one of the the criticisms, I I do agree, by the way, that um, with everything that you said and that people should take these things seriously because beyond just thinking about Bigfoot or skepticism, even in general, like there are more pressing problems, and that's one of the criticisms that people have about, like criticizing, uh, like the quacks. You know, they they don't really, like, a lot of other issues could be seen as more important by by other people, but some people think that that trying to to hit too many targets all at once could be very difficult for some groups, and that they should be allowed to to be critical of just religion or just or, or just uh, pseudoscience you know with, you know without even without having to bother with issues of class or or race or gender you know like um, leave that to the other groups who specialize in that so that people could focus on just one with just one perspective so what can you say about 
about that kind of uh, argument? I, I think it's fine. I think if if an organization just wants to focus on on one thing, like being critical of religion, that's great. Uh, you know, they they should do that. All all I ask is that uh, when it is is that groups try their best to um, how should I put this? Uh, you don't in order to work towards equality for everyone, you don't need to uh, focus on, you know, lobbying for women's rights or uh, lobbying for minority rights all of the time. Uh, it can be as simple as when you're hosting a conference, think about who you're putting on stage and is there a chance that there's a woman or a minority that you're overlooking? Um, or even just somebody like a lesser known name, you know, somebody who has a, a different perspective on things that you could throw in the mix. Um, especially if you have like a panel, panels are the greatest because you don't need one big name on stage to sell tickets. Panels you can stock with interesting, educated people. Um, are they all men? Is everybody on your stage a white male? maybe think about throwing in a woman or two. <laughs> um, those are the sort of things that, that we request. And uh, organizations are free to, to ignore those requests. And just as I'm free to stop, uh, stop going to those conferences and agreeing to speak. So, for instance, in my rider, when, people, when conferences ask me to come and speak, uh, my writer insists that at least 35% of the people on stage need to be women, which I don't think is asking very much. That's not asking for a huge uh, influx of your, you know, your income to go towards women's rights. It's just asking for uh, acknowledgement that these people are in your audience and would like to be involved more. And I think that that's, I think that's fair. So but as as for like I'm totally happy if somebody wants to start an organization just devoted to Bigfoot. I am so cool with that because <laughs> I love Bigfoot. <laughs> That's totally okay. So you have done this. You have raised awareness about these issues, issues of you know inclusivity, especially when it comes to people of color or uh, women or LGBT individuals. So how like in all of those years, like since you started or you were one of the first few people who raised uh, these issues or raised awareness about these issues. Has it gotten better since then? What? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, when I first started going to skeptic conferences, we were lucky to see 20% women in the audience and 0% on stage, maybe one woman on stage. And now I regularly see, like now, uh, in the past year, the various conferences that have received my rider, all of them have gone back to me and said, hey, no problem, I just counted them up and we're 40% women or we're 50% women on stage. You know, it's, it's easy now for them to do that. Uh, and so now I'm moving on to helping them get more people of color up on stage. Um, so, you know, for the most part, these organizations want to make these changes because they realize how helpful it is. They realize that making these changes makes them more appealing to a larger audience and uh, can also 
help make their regular audience more interested in what they're doing because it's not the same old people up on stage year after year saying the same old things. Um, so uh, overall, it's been a really positive growth. Um, the the negative stuff has been a minority of people who are very loud and uh, use intimidation tactics online in order to make themselves seem like a bigger threat than they are. Um, but I'm really happy to say that by and large, you know, the people I run into at conferences, the people organizing conferences, the people running organizations are eager to learn and grow and become a better, more humanistic group. So, yeah, congratulations on the progress that you have helped to attain in, on the, those issues. So, Thanks. So, uh, lastly, like before we, we end, first of all, the, the question about the most important scientific or skeptical developments of oh. the year. That you have that backlog. And as well, uh, make an, I mean, are there any projects or for both Skeptic, the Skeptic Network, and the SGU that you would like to, to tell your fans in our audience about? Um, well, yeah, on Skeptic, we are getting ready to launch on Monday, I think, as of when this is being recorded. Uh, we're going to launch a parenting site. So it's going to be all, it's going to be run entirely by parents who are skeptics, and they're going to talk about how to raise children to be uh, critical thinkers. So I'm really excited about that. Um, you should go to Skeptic, and there'll be a link there. I don't want to say the site name just in case uh, <laughs> whenever this goes out, you know, it's not ready. But go to Skeptic, and there'll be a link there. Um, what else? We've got, uh, oh, we're coming to, uh, the SGU is coming to Australia and New Zealand next year. Um, mm. So people in that area should should go check that out. How far is that from you? That's still pretty far, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it still is. But yeah. damn, <laughs> we're gonna. We need to. We need to figure out a way to to get to Southeast Asia uh, and you have do. a conference there and do a live do. show. <laughs> yeah, because uh, <laughs> yeah, I I was in um, Singapore, Malaysia, and Thailand a couple of years ago, and I loved it so much, and I cannot wait to go back. So. Get on that. Make a yeah, <laughs> make a big conference and invite us. Sure, sure. We'll do that. We'll do that. And we'll be sure that um, at least 40% are, are women. Yes, are women. So Good. It's 5% <laughs> above your requirement, you know, so that. Great. Perfect. Because, you know, I, I do, I'm going to raise the percentage every year. So by the time you have the conference, <laughs> it could be like 60%. 120% women. <laughs> <laughs> It means it means at least twenty uh, percent of the women have to be pregnant with girls. Okay. <laughs> so, um, um, oh God, I still, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I'm I'm completely drawing a blank on the scientific that, discovery. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say that you should tune in to the year-end episode of SGU. <laughs> I'm sure you'll have a nice summary there, and you'll mention the. Those yeah, because developments. We're, yeah. we're recording on Tuesday, I think, for that episode. So in the next couple of days, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to make a list, <laughs> and I'm going to to pick one, and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> so I will yeah, take sorry. your. I won't be skeptical, and I'll take. I'll trust you. I'll take Good. your word on thank that. You. So thank you so much, Rebecca, for 
for your time and for my pleasure. Yeah, and I, I look forward to speaking to you next time and hopefully here in the Philippines when you bring your yeah, your your friends and uh, we have the conference here. So Yeah, that sounds good. So have a great day. Thank you, you too, Red.